0: and today we're looking at the story the browning of fern den and just brownie lore in general and mm-hmm. we get into a lot of things we get we get into kind of um cute little stories and a bit about tolkien and a bit about harry potter and it also feels like
1: a kind of trivia episode basically yeah a
0: bit of trivia bit of human sacrifice Bit of Meaning of Life, Mm -hmm. and um, this week's story is um, an Elizabeth Grierson version, so credit to her, been dead a long time, but credit to her. There have been many brownies known in Scotland, and stories have been written about the Brownie of Bodsbeck and the Brownie of Blednock, but about neither of them has a prettier story been told than that which I am going to tell you about the Brownie of Fernden. Now, Fernden was a farmhouse, which got its name from the glen, or den, on the edge of which it stood, and through which anyone who wished to reach the dwelling had to pass. And this glen was believed to be the abode of a brownie, who never appeared to anyone in the daytime, but who it was said was sometimes seen at night, stealing about like an ungainly shadow from tree to tree, trying to keep from observation and never by any chance harming anyone. Indeed, like all brownies that are properly treated and let alone, so far was he from harming anyone that he was always on the lookout to do a good turn to those who needed his assistance. The farmer often said that he did not know what he would do without him, for if there was any work to be finished in a hurry on the farm, Turn to thrash or winnow or tie up into bags, turnips to cut, clothes to wash, a kern to be kerned, a garden to be weeded. All that the farmer and his wife had to do was leave the door of the barn or the turnip shed or the milk house open when they went to bed and put down a bowl of new milk on the doorstep for the brownies' supper. And when they woke the next morning, the bowl would be empty and the job finished better than if it had been done by mortal hands. In spite of all this, however, which might have proved to them how gentle and kindly the creature really was, everyone about the place was afraid of him, and would rather go a couple of miles round about in the dark when they were coming home from Kirk or Market, than pass through the glen and run the risk of catching a glimpse of him. I said that they were all afraid of him, but that was not true, for the farmer's wife was so good and gentle that she was not afraid of anything on God's earth. And when the Bernies' supper had to be left outside, she always filled his bowl with the richest milk and added a good spoonful of cream to it. For, said she, he works so hard for us and asks no wages, he well deserves the very best meal that we can give him. One night this gentle lady was taken very ill, and everyone was afraid that she was going to die. Of course her husband was greatly distressed, and so were her servants, for she had been such a good mistress to them that they loved her as if she had been their mother. But they were all young and none of them knew very much about illness, and everyone agreed that it would be better to send for an old woman who lived about seven miles away on the other side of the river, who was known to be a very skilful nurse. But who was to go? That was the question, for it was black midnight, and the way to the old woman's house lay straight through the glen, and whoever travelled that road ran the risk of meeting the dreaded brownie. The farmer would have gone only too willingly, but he dare not leave his wife alone, and the servants stood in groups about the kitchen, each one telling the other that he ought to go, yet no one offering to do it themselves. Little did they think that the cause of all their terror, a queer, wee, misshapen little man, all covered with hair, with a long beard, red-rimmed eyes, broad, flat feet just like the feet of a puddock, and enormous, long arms that touched the ground, even when he stood upright, was within a yard or two of them, listening to their talk with an anxious face behind the kitchen door. For he had come up as usual from his hiding place in the Glen, to see if there was any work for him to do, and to look for his bowl of milk. And he had seen, from the open door and lit up windows, that there was something wrong inside the farmhouse, which at that hour was wont to be dark and still and silent. And he had crept into the entry to try and find out what the matter was. When he gathered from the servant's talk that the mistress, whom he loved so dearly, and who had been so kind to him, was ill, his heart sank within him and when he heard that the silly servants were so taken up with their own fears that they dared not set out to fetch a nurse for her, his contempt and anger knew no bounds. Fools, idiots, dolts, he muttered to himself, stamping his queer, misshapen feet on the floor. They speak as if a body were ready to take a bite off them as soon as ever he met them. If they only knew the bother it gives me to keep out of their road, they wouldn't be so silly. But by my troth, if they go on like this, the bonny lady will die amongst their fingers. So it strikes me that Brownie must see gang himself. So saying, he reached up his hand and took down a dark cloak which belonged to the farmer, which was hanging on a peg on the wall, and throwing it over his head and shoulders, or as somewhat to hide his ungainly form, he hurried away to the stable and saddled and bridled the fleetest-footed horse that stood there. When the last buckle was fastened, he led it to the door and scrambled on its back. Now if ever thou travellest fleetly, travel fleetly now he said, and it was as if the creature understood him, for it gave a little whinny and pricked up its ears, then it darted out into the darkness like an arrow from the bow. In less time than the distance had ever been ridden in before, the brownie drew rein at the old woman's cottage. She was in bed fast asleep, but he rapped sharply on the window, and when she rose and put her old face, framed in its white much, close to the pane to ask who was there, he bent forward and told her his errand. "'Thou must come with me, good wife, and that quickly,' he commanded in his deep, harsh voice. "'If the lady of Fernden's life is to be saved, for there is no one to nurse her up by at the farm there, save a lot of empty-headed servant wenches.' "'But how am I to get there? Have they sent a cart for me?' asked the old woman anxiously, for as far as she could see there was nothing at the door save a horse and its rider. "'No, they have sent no cart,' replied the brownie shortly so you must climb up behind me on the saddle and hang on tight to my waist, and I'll promise to land you at Fern Den safe and sound. His voice was so masterful that the old woman dare not refuse to do as she was bid. Besides, she had often ridden pillion-wise when she was a lassie, so she made haste to dress herself, and when she was ready she unlocked her door, and mounting the loping on stain that stood beside it, she was soon seated behind the dark-cloaked stranger, with her arms clasped tightly around him. Not a word was spoken till they approached the dreaded glen. Then the old woman felt her courage giving way. Do you think that there will be any chance of meeting the brownie? she asked timidly. I would fain not run the risk, for folks say he is an unchancy creature. Her companion gave a curious laugh. Keep up your heart and dinna talk Havers, he said, for I promise you you'll see naught uglier this night than the man whom you ride behind. Oh, then I'm fine and safe replied the old woman with a sigh of relief, for although I haven't seen your face, I warrant ye are a true man for the care you've taken of a poor old woman. She relapsed into silence again till the glen was passed and the good horse had turned into the farmyard. Then the horseman slid to the ground and, turning round, lifted her carefully down in his long, strong arms. As he did so, the cloak slipped off him, revealing his short, broad body and his misshapen limbs. "'In all the world, what kind of man are you?' she asked, "'peering into his face in the grey morning light, which was just dawning. "'What makes your eyes so big? "'And what have you done to your feet? "'They're more like a puddock's webs than aught else.' "'The queer little man laughed again. "'I've wandered many a mile in my time without a horse to help me, "'and I've heard it said that our much walking makes the feet unshapely,' he replied. "'But waste no time in talking, good dame. "'Go thy way into the house.' And Harky, if anyone asks thee who brought thee hither so quickly, tell them that there was a lack of men, so thou hast e'en to be content to ride behind the brownie den Okay,
1: so, on a scale from Rashikots's coat of rushes to a horse that can go remarkably fast for very little reason and it's called teak gung.
0: <laughs> how do you feel um how do i feel about this story i am gonna put it i'm gonna put it like slightly more on on the teak side of of the scale because um, mm. i feel mm-hmm. like it's it's very silly and i'm gonna i'm gonna rate it as random trout of knowledge
1: okay yeah i see that um yeah that's the thing i i went for this kind of scale not that we have any kind of official criteria involved um but just because i remember when we did assy paddle that horse feels just so out of place and strange and
0: unique yeah
1: um i thought Something about that maps onto this brownie story.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's it's not even like it's it's not even a particularly silly story. It's more just like the brownie is kind of a humorous figure. But it's quite a wholesome mm-hmm. story, really.
1: Yeah, it's uh more wholesome than some other examples of it that I've seen.
0: Yeah. So So I have I have some quick brownie facts that we can go through. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Wonderful.
0: Let's let's begin. Um, Brownies are often male, but there are some accounts of female brownies. Um, Mm. They're usually described as ugly. And apparently every house is supposed to have a brownie, but I also noticed that in the stories, there's a lot of kind of, like, they seem to be really grateful that they do have a brownie, and there's a lot of stories where the brownie leaves in the end, and, like, it it just seems like every house is not having a brownie. <laughs> yeah, um,
1: yeah, definitely not. I don't think I've ever had the impression that every house was supposed yeah. to have a brownie.
0: I definitely got the impression it was meant wow. to be something special, but um, yeah, yeah. Though brownies are considered like- good and benevolent um, members of the household rarely seem to actually see them and when they do see them, they're usually frightened and unsettled and creeped out because they're just like, Ew, you're so ugly <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so mean. I know. <laughs> um, wow.
1: Yeah. Um, hmm. Does that always play out exactly
0: the same way if it's a female brownie? See, I, I couldn't I couldn't verify because well some of my research mentioned like a female brownie by name, but I, um, I I didn't I, I didn't research her because <laughs> I just kind of moved on. I don't know. <laughs> um,
1: fair. No, and also I think it if it has a specific name that already feels like kind of a subset of brownie, we don't want the celebrity brownie.
0: There, there's a couple of male brownies that have a specific name as well. There's one called, like, the mm-hmm. Cold Lad from, like, North England. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But, yeah. I didn't look into them. Very good question. Sorry, I couldn't answer it. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I, I got heavily <laughs> sidetracked, I won't lie. Um, so in, in earlier stories, they're... Human-sized, but in later they're described as small and wizened, and this this does just kind of follow a similar pattern with basically like all folklore creatures generally in Scottish folklore and kind of Celtic mythology. There's kind of a pipeline mm-hmm. of like big and cool to small and wizened. Um, mm-hmm. the the closer you get to the modern day, basically. Um, so then they mm. they're supposedly thought to get their name from being brown skinned and covered in hair. And Okay. I would have liked to have looked into that more. um, because I I just think there like I can't ignore the kind of racist undercurrent of those optics. And like maybe it's a coincidence maybe like you know wh- i want to know when this description came in i like i think it would be relevant when uh like when exactly that was defined to be why they're called brownies whether it's always been a thing or whether it was a newer thing mm. um yes and when exactly it becomes so
1: ubiquitous and accepted by everyone that that's the name and the reason
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then there is an account in kind of the late 19th century that describes them as being like a lot more how we would think of as how we would think of Tolkien's hobbits as like short and portly and they have curly hair. Mm -hmm. And and Mm -hmm. then it says that they wear a brown cloak and hood. So in that description, it's more like that they wear brown clothes. Um, Sure. So like, and that's a later description, which seems like a bit less problematic but but they are generally they're said to be hairy all over um, and usually don't wear any clothes and this was this was a bit that I really liked was um it said that they can turn invisible but generally they don't need to because they're so good at sneaking and hiding and I was like oh oh so this is just the hobbit <laughs> that's just the hobbit absolutely yeah. um, like obviously I'd kind of like I, I knew that Tolkien was inspired by by hobbits especially since the English are one of the English names for the brownie is the hob. Um but I hadn't heard that specific oh, really? bit about them being able to turn invisible but not needing to cuz they're so good at sneaking.
1: <laughs> yes. No, I mean that's I think he writes that in the very beginning. Yeah. Um, when he's describing yeah, the hobbit definitely. So
0: I, I definitely remember that that's mentioned in The Hobbit that they're so good at sneaking, and then obviously, he couldn't just have yeah. them. He, he couldn't just have them magically be able to turn invisible. He had to have a magic ring instead because it's cooler. But
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's also the association with homeliness and chores and yeah, um, you know that that's a very clear inspiration. Very nice.
0: Oh. Yeah. So, when a brownie has been slighted, they will sometimes fly into a rage before leaving the house and just wreak general havoc. And in extreme cases, um, they become boggarts and stick around the house, which is like... So a boggart is a malevolent house spirit and they kind of throw things mm. around, break things, like torment people, pinch them when they're trying to sleep. Um, it's like a, kind of the same creature as the German poltergeist which I think people are a lot more familiar with the concept of a poltergeist um, mm. and the word bogart is where we get words like the boogeyman or the boogeyman and mm-hmm. tangentially slightly um, <laughs> the Scots word for a scarecrow is tatty bogle so same, same root again it basically know. means like potato scare, scary thingy I guess, <laughs> I don't yeah. know
1: I always forget that's what you call scarecrows. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, ah, so that's then, an interesting piece of etymology. Go on. Sorry.
0: Yeah. I'm just firing through my fun facts here. Um, <laughs> so, then, brownies, they tend to take offense to being observed working, criticized by humans, laughed at by humans, and they're also said to vanish if they're given a name. But then the mm-hmm. most common thing is they vanish if you give them clothes, and this is sometimes seen as like the ultimate offense to give them clothes, or it's kind of portrayed as if now they have clothes, they consider themselves too grand and important to do housework. Um, but either way, you lose them forever if you give them clothes, and wow. I think I think we can all guess that J.K. Rowling's house elves are drawn from from this tradition. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, I was going to say, very hard to get away from all of the overlap with house elves as well.
0: Yeah. So that's the end of my fun brownie facts. <laughs>
1: oh, okay. Very nice. Um, yes, uh, it did come up a few times in my research this idea of them being given clothes as the kind of the way to lose your brownie. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting, there was, so I think it was in Catherine Briggs's, uh book, her kind of anthology, I guess, of uh, supernatural creatures. And there were some riddles, uh, all kind of songs that she had from brownies that seemed to, they seemed to be sad uh, hmm. to have been given clothes. And um, the suggestion was maybe a, there's something to do with, like, a curse, uh, that they're not entirely in control. Um, mm. um, I just I don't know. I thought that was a, a maybe fun undercurrent for the other explanation of why maybe they are now arrogant and grandiose, or maybe there's just some unfathomable fairy magic we're supposed to know yeah. about going on in the background. Well, so then getting into our story proper, mm. I suppose, uh, one thing that bothered me almost immediately reading it was that, um, and I guess it comes up again in your trivia, mm. it feels like this brownie is supposed to be in a special house, like Lord and Lady of the Manor type of thing. Mm. Um and again, house health parallels and whatever. But the way it's described in our tale is, oh, it's it's just a farmhouse. It's just a farmer and his wife. It, like, yeah, there's there's no suggestion of them being particularly wealthy or socially important or whatever. But then they also have servants, and they also have I don't, a large enough estate. To need the help of a brownie and i don't know to yeah. me that doesn't make much sense uh and in other brownie versions that i've heard it very much is a nobleman and his wife or the daughter of mm. the nobleman who gets ill and he has to go off for a midwife because it, i mean it's the same story basically that yeah. this woman is nice to him so he runs off to get
0: the yeah. Midwife who's terrified of him, and yeah, and that um, is that is the thing. It's like I read that it was kind of considered specifically the brownie's job to get the midwife, so hmm. I thought it was kind of it was almost as if this story had had this, but then it was it couldn't be the midwife because then it would never be in question that it was the brownie's job to get it or something.
1: Yeah, I feel like something about this story is strange and has lost yeah. its way a bit compared to the other examples that we have. Yeah. Um, so actually on our website, and I remember because this was one of the first few illustrations that Lindley did, actually, mm-hmm. we have the Brownies coat. Um, and, and again, it's this fuller tale where mm-hmm. it's the nobleman's wife yeah. And there's a servant who's supposed to be going out for the midwife, but he's slow and lazy and whatever. So the brownie goes, and then the brownie beats up the servant. Afterwards. <laughs> and that's the note that the tale ends on. Um,
0: Gee, thanks. <laughs> yeah.
1: Which, uh, whew, yeah. it makes the brownies seem a lot less friendly, by nature. Um, yeah. If they're just going to beat up lazy servants. Yeah. Um,
0: I suppose... Yeah, thoughts? Feelings? I suppose with this story, in the sense of them having servants, and but then it's supposed to be a farmer and his wife, it could be, you know, coming from that kind of time period where if you weren't living in poverty it was kind of normal to hire like a young unmarried girl to come and help you keep house or something Mm -hmm, it could mm -hmm. be that kind of thing or it could be more like if it's a farm it might be to do with like oh they hire young unmarried girls to help in the house and they hire they like hire young boys to help on the farm like young farmhands of whatever that's i think that's a thing it might be meant to more come off like that, as opposed to having servants and being wealthy. But yeah, it does. It reads weirdly.
1: <laughs> yeah, and especially that the old woman is just a nurse. There's, there's nothing, nothing specific. It's just, it's just medicine. Yeah, it's almost always a midwife in fairy yeah. tales. It, it um, just,
0: it seems like she's supposed to be the midwife in the sense yeah. that she's she's kind of that old woman figure who um, delivers all the babies in the area and also lays people out for funerals and just does everything of that sort.
1: Yeah, and I imagine again we'll circle back to this later, but it ties into a very nice dichotomy that you have that fairies sometimes are thought to be spirits of the dead and then you juxtapose that with the midwife and it's a horse ride through nighttime and you get this whole idea of transition and tension and yeah the potential death of the mother opposed to the birth of the newborn and you know there's just a lot of immediate very nice symbolism that you have in the background of the story if it's a midwife and then this story just doesn't go for that. Mm. Um, yeah. So, you know, fair enough. To each their own. Gotta say, I think I would prefer the fuller version of the brownies yeah. cut. And I the think, ones of Catherine Briggs. I think the
0: midwife was the right choice. Um, <laughs> gotta say. Yeah, yeah, I mean... No offence to, like, generations of storytellers, but... <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, when you all sat down and wrote this um, Mm -hmm. then you should have made it a midwife in this particular Mm retelling. It's always the best story. Um,
0: There's just storytelling choices that you can make that just make things a lot richer and I think the midwife is one of those choices.
1: I think so, and I... I think it explains why it so specifically has to be her. Um, Because if you genuinely just needed a nurse, probably a lot of people would have some ideas about basic herbs in that kind of community area. Not only one person would have that knowledge. Yeah. But the specialist and... Crisis knowledge, yeah, that would be conserved. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. And what what is the farmer's wife dying of? What's happening to her? Why? Yeah. We have absolutely no explanation. Like what if she's pregnant, all of a sudden, easy. We're yeah. all there. This doesn't need any more words.
0: It's like, what? What is she dying of? Where? we consider the nurse just entering the building to be, like, the story resolved.
1: Mm. And especially with the urgency of how quickly yeah. she has to be got. If it's just a fever or something, that's slightly more prolonged. Like you say, you wouldn't immediately think, oh, yeah, the nurse has arrived, the doctor's arrived, whatever, the story can end on this note. Yeah. No, if it was a magical malady, you would wring it out a bit longer and you would have, oh, now the husband has to go and fulfill a quest for the magical water of healing or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You could extend it. Um, you could make it a curse. Now the farmer actually has to go off and kill a witch or something, you know? It, it only, it makes the most sense for the yeah. story to end where it does. If it's a pregnancy, like you say. Yeah.
0: I mean what if the nurse arrives gives her a check over and is just like nah yeah she's dying like <laughs> we don't know wow we only know that everything's going to be okay if it's a baby and the midwife is here now
1: yeah you <laughs> well, um no you're you're right the because it's a bit Like we were saying, it's a slightly goofy story. Mm -hmm. So, the natural assumption is that everything's fine.
0: Yeah. uh,
1: At the ending. Um,
0: Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I was like, mm -hmm. I was read, um, I had this story read to me when I was a child, and I just... I just didn't care about anything. I was just like, yeah, it's a story about not judging people by their appearance. Done. Dusted. Next story, please. Amazing. <laughs> wow.
1: <laughs> what an interpretation of the brownie. <laughs> yeah. No, I. it's not a bad moral. And I think generally fairy tales have a few going on yeah. that you could pick out if you want to.
0: So, when thinking about what the kind of significance of having this figure in folklore and this storytelling tradition relating to this specific thing, like thinking about what it all means and like why we tell these stories in the first place, uh, I wanted Mm -hmm. to first start off by saying start thinking about it as related to the concept of household spirits, of kind of ancestral spirits, like the Roman lares or whatever. Um, the spirit of the house itself, mm. that tradition mm. in other cultures. And then I want to go straight into human sacrifice. Okay? Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh,
1: ooh, I'm tentatively with you. Uh, I imagine everyone else feels the same. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Okay, <laughs> lead so, the way so it was once believed like in a lot of cultures worldwide basically um, that it, some kind of sacrifice was necessary when you built a house um, so I want to go into I just have like a quick tiny little story that kind of summarises it so um, this is set on the island of Iona and two two saints are trying to find trying to found a monastery so then every day when they, the people building it lay the foundation stones um mm-hmm. you know they put them down they're like good job done they go away they come back in the morning and all the work has been undone and it just seems okay. like it just seems like the world is against this church ever going up. Um, and then one night, St. Columba hears a voice that tells him that the building won't stand until you bury a living man in its foundations.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So the other saint, St. Oran, I think um, I think that's how you say that, um, <laughs> volunteers to be buried underneath the church. So they they dig a pit and they lay him down in the pit and they pile the stones over his body and the church rises up above him. And wow. after so then after three days, St. Columba wants to see his friend again. So he, he gets him dug up. And as soon as the dirt is removed from his face, the saint sits up and says, There is no wonder in death, and hell is not as it is reported. And then St. Columba is so appalled by this, <laughs> he says, Earth, mm. earth on the mouth of Orin, that he may blab no more. <gasps> And that's the end Uh, of that story. What?
1: (laughs) Uh, Oh.
0: It's really insane. It's really insane. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So Scottish saint stories are not like ones that I ever heard growing up. Yeah. Um, Absolutely wild.
0: Absolutely crazy. Like, that last bit at the end is just so... Oh, <laughs> you know, he's just like, there's no wonder in death and hell's not what I thought it would be like. And Columbus just like, oh, no, I don't want to hear that.
1: <laughs> it's like, shut up. <laughs> you are no longer welcome here, actually. Thank you. Uh, you can go.
0: Yeah. Wow. So, so um, what's this about? I not and... feel very
1: saintly. But, okay. Yeah. It's
0: just what what is this about and why am I relating it to brownies? Um Please. so building a structure was kind of considered an affront to the land and the deities of the land and to nature and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. it was considered or the stories that we have suggest that it was considered Um, that you had to sacrifice someone to appease the spirits of the land so that your house wouldn't fall down. And then it was thought that in death, the sacrificed person would be transformed to become the spirit of the house that they had been entombed in and would then protect those that lived within. And Ah. so, like I said, this is from all across the world, but it's unclear whether... The actual practice was the norm because we have found skeletons in walls of old buildings, but obviously there's no way to tell whether that's a result of sacrifice or if it was an accident or a murder or whatever. But what we do know is that they people would use like people would do a sacrifice by substitute, and we do have quite a lot of evidence of that being done so you could mm-hmm. bury an empty coffin in the house instead of a person um, you could measure a person's height with a length of string or rope and bury bury that instead um, but also have been found like eggs and candles and bottles of wine and things that don't mm-hmm. seem to have any relation to like standing in for a person but there's some sort of sacrifice um, yeah
1: still clearly an offering
0: yeah and In Ireland, there's been, like, horses' skulls, and then there's also coins Mm. as a kind of ransom for the person's life. Um, Yeah, Another practice is to have someone stand in front of the, the foundations so that the foundation stone can be laid over their shadow. And I read one thing that was just saying, oh, it's okay, they'll just... They'll just lay over the shadow and no one has to be sacrificed. It's just symbolic. But I read one thing that said that people who had their shadow sacrificed in this way were very much expected to die shortly after. Oh, (laughs) wow. (laughs) um, Yeah, Hmm. and in Romania, it's like a a thing when you're walking by a new construction construction site. I don't know if it still is, Hmm. but it was at one point. To say, like, beware, lest they take thy shadow. So it's kind of a uh, unlucky, I suppose. Mm. If your shadow falls that's over a, cons- a construction very... site, yeah, yeah
1: that's very, so very interesting.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. <laughs> um, so I wanted to say, wanted, I wanted to bring it back to Bernie's. So you did. Some people are arguing that the kind of modern or the later kind of spiritual successor to this idea of human sacrifice and household spirits are like stories of haunted houses. Um, mm. But I think it can be argued that, at least in the kind of um, spirit, to use a apt word, <laughs> the spirit of the stories. The brownie is kind of a more direct descendant because the way in which people in these human sacrifice stories are relating to the concept of someone being buried under their floorboards, Mm. they're seeing Mm. it as a positive protective force that is there to look after you. Whereas now it's very much like, oh... Someone died peacefully in my home and then was taken away. Oh, I don't want to buy this house. It's... <laughs> you know, even yeah. if someone has died in the house, people are creeped out. But we've touched on this before in the podcast. We definitely used to be a lot more comfortable with death than we are nowadays.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yes.
0: Yeah. Um... So going off the kind of... um The kind of concept of, in general, fairy stories start out as kind of grand and scary. And over the years, um, characters who used to be sort of godlike beings of human size, very much like Tolkien's elves, they become become in our modern conception um, of them tiny winged creatures that are just kind of pretty and cute and even kind of Tolkien specifically draws on this when he has like with the whole thing with the magic leaving middle earth and when he has Galadriel say I will diminish Mm -hmm. because that is kind of the fate of in a lot of the stories and sort of in a fourth wall break kind of way that is the fate of fairy creatures so in like <laughs> in that lens you could see the brownie as this kind of nice household spirit that is there to look after you without any of with the dark undertones kind of stripped away and morphed into something different it's like this idea of a nice protective spirit of the house but it's now just like ugly as opposed to being the body of someone that you killed to build your house. (laughs) (laughs) Which would
1: have, how should I say this, Uh, a psychological ugliness, shall we say.
0: Yeah, Um, exactly. And it it has this interesting aspect to it where with both sacrificing someone to to build your house and keep you safe and having a brownie It exists to supposedly make your life easier and to benefit you, supposedly to be a positive force in your life, but it is something ugly that you refuse to directly look in the eye and confront. So, yeah. (laughs) And it's kind of adding on to that in a lot of traditions. There is a lot of blurring between the land of the dead and the world of the fairies. Uh, like, particularly in Brittany, yeah. the fairy stories there are a lot of the time they seem inter- interchangeable with kind of the land of the fairies, the land of the dead, are basically the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. but what you, too de- what you do tend to get is you will see spirits of once living people living with the fairies, but the fairies themselves are a separate entity, they're not um, usually dead people. Um, but Catherine Briggs does note that brownies are frequently connected with the dead, and she said mm-hmm. that a good case could be made to consider them ghosts. Um, but in her opinion, there's a lot more to them than this kind of lingering memory kind of ghost that we tend to think of today. Um,
1: yes, they're a lot more active. Than yeah, the tradition, which is where again origin. I would
0: say it's it's following this tradition of a household, a household spirit. Like, I'm not arguing that it's necessarily a direct descendant. I'm sure there's, like, been lots of inputs that led to this. But I think this idea of having having a spirit of the house that takes care of you, um, they're not unrelated.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I have to say I was thinking of the overlap between the brownie and... I mean, I've only seen this word written down. But uh, Domovoy, uh, it's uh, Slavic uh, household spirit. Um, But the connection uh, given generally is very much that it's the ancestors um, Mm -hmm. of the family taking care of it.
0: Yeah, that Um, would be... That would be very, very like a lot of household spirits across the world that it is it's not just the household spirits, it's the ancestors of the people that live there,
1: yeah, and it contributes to this whole idea of yeah this is your family's land and you're committing to protecting the house in which everyone is yeah. born and dies and the farm that feeds everyone and yeah. It makes it much safer. It stakes your familiar claim on the land. Um, yeah. Which I think is something in mm. our very globalised world we connect less to. But it's a huge deal, actually, yeah. to have a home.
0: Yeah. And especially with this idea that brownies might have sprung from the tradition of having ancestral spirits there's also the fact that they in the earliest traditions like i said before they are human-sized and bigger and mm-hmm. it's in the later ones that they become these small little creatures
1: yes and i suppose i was also thinking as an overlap for what you were saying the a person sacrificed uh, could well sometimes have been, if especially if it was someone expected to die, could well have been a grandparent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, you know, it could all be overlapping with the same idea, I guess, of yeah ancestral worship and being able to rely on your older kin in a very niche and uh, non-standard way. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: It is also certainly a very old tradition, and as a result, very, very layered. There's lots of different ways you can interpret it. And Mm -hmm. what I find quite contradictory to the theory that it's like related to household spirits, not that it has to be one or the other, I think it can be both, but what I find contradictory is the fact that in a lot of stories, the brownies are noted as having a dwelling place that's outside of the home. They have a cave, or they have a glen, or a den, or a valley. They have somewhere that they live in nature that is apart from the home. And my take on this kind of side of the story is that brownies perhaps represent this kind of harmony, between the constructed world and the natural world. In a way that I could tie back to the kind of reason that people did human sacrifices anyway, because there was this unease about building in the natural landscape, and mm-hmm. the human sacrifice was supposed to make that better. And I think... I, I think... I convinced myself the, that these were two different interpretations, but I think they're actually the same interpretation, because I think there's a read where the brownie is filling the same role, where they're a story of harmony between the two worlds, where other stories about fairy creatures and nature spirits, they usually go quite hard on the clash between the two worlds and between humanity and fairies mm-hmm. and... It's about kind of our struggle with forces that are greater than us and the fear and the guilt. Whereas the brownie is coming from its place in nature. It's crossing into the domestic landscape and it's it's just traversing the boundary back and forth every day, just doing mundane tasks. So it's almost like this is a comforting mm-hmm. fantasy of humanity's relationship with nature done well it's held in a perfect balance but you Hmm. also have the ideal
1: as opposed to the negative stories that we have exactly highlighting what happens when things but you also have Hmm.
0: the aspect of it being an incredibly delicate balance you know you like (laughs) One wrong word or one wrong act, and that relationship is lost forever. The brownie's gone.
1: Yeah. Or worst comes to worst, you can manipulate it into a bogart. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm.
0: And circling well, back an to idea. the giving the brownie clothes, I think you could read that as attempting to kind of civilize the brownie and make it bring it more into our world upsets that balance and inherently makes it unable to fulfill that role
1: yes you're trying to stake too much of a human claim on something mm-hmm. that is not human and doesn't want it
0: yeah um,
1: that's interesting i feel like it also maybe ties into the ideas Potentially of them being ancestral spirits as well, and Mm -hmm. the whole dust to dust, ashes to ashes kind of thing, you know, you get buried back into the ground, you go back into it, you rejoin nature once you die,
0: Mm -hmm. Um, if you will. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Basically what I've gotten from it all is I think... The brownie is a much more romantic figure than I first thought it was.
1: Yeah, I've been thinking of him as just a funny little man with red cheeks and a shocking fondness for dairy. Mm-hmm. Um, but now maybe he's, he's the noble, sacrificed ancestor that is trying to balance humanity and nature in an appropriate way and maintain his kin for all eternity. Yeah. Which is a very grandiose <laughs>
0: Uh
1: It's quite challenging.
0: Yeah. I also thought it's quite it's significant that when um, the humans of the house leave milk for the brownie, it's supposed to be, they're mm-hmm. supposed to leave it at the hearth which mm-hmm. you know center of the home etc cetera, etc cetera. but that is also where um ancestral spirits that tends to be where they're worshipped and where dedications are made to them is the hearth yes very it's, much so it's very much um, it's it's kind of like allowing it's allowing nature into the center of your home and the center of your life but if you try to control it or humanise it too much or um, there was one story where the brownie left after the farmer who put down the milk sort of called called it to tell it that the milk was there and mm-hmm. the brownie took offence to this and left So
1: yes because the brownie's like I can't believe that I have a name now that's horrible
0: yeah um. and it's kind of like you can fascinating you're not allowed it's like you have to invite you have to invite it into the center of your your home but you're not allowed to do anything that would remotely verge on taking ownership of it
1: yeah you can't have any specific ties that bind um one thing i did want to note actually that i guess kind of ties into all of this is that sometimes the so one of the songs that I saw written down that the brownie sings is that they're specifically asking for a green shirt as we've established Mm -hmm. green association with fairies obviously association with nature um yeah so it's interesting that even though Sometimes maybe even the brownie seems to be asking for a shirt, sometimes just given a green piece of clothing. That's, again, also enough to completely destroy the balance. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm. Yeah. I did see a sort of general note that when the brownies disappear, it's sort of assumed that, oh, they've probably gone back to fairyland Mm -hmm. And it is kind of, it's a bit, like it's not, but I want to say psychopomp (laughs) because, you know, it's not, Mm -hmm. like it's not shepherding the souls of the dead um, between, like to the afterlife, but it's this role of traversing boundaries and the loss of that ability
1: Yeah, and to go back to the actual story that we presented, well, one of the versions of the story that we presented, Mm -hmm. if it's a midwife, specifically because possibly mother and baby will die in childbirth, Hmm. that would lend much more credence to the psychopomp idea.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely.
1: Right through nighttime. Um
0: mm-hmm.
1: Possibly to the fairy world.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I think I think brownie stories have a special place in my heart now. Honestly.
1: <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> now want to go off and do even more reading about them.
0: Yeah, um, it's interesting. So, these kind of creatures, they do exist in a lot of traditions all over the world, but Mm. the Scottish word brownie has kind of taken over. It's kind of used to describe them generally. (laughs) So, yeah, nice to talk about the OG, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. well, it's because it sounds like such a, a sweet word, you know? It's quite cutesy. Uh, it's not threatening, in the way that the fae are, Um it doesn't feel quite as childish and Zacharin as fairy sometimes does.
0: It's a really interesting figure, and I I really respect the Barney <laughs> for having the attitude of, you know, you can, I can help you. We can work together. We can have a nice relationship, but I have my limits, and if you do something wrong, it's just over. Like, sorry, no, no toxicity completely. in my life.
1: <laughs> uh, wow, uh, maybe we should all be inspired by the brownie. Mm-hmm. Have strong boundaries. Be nice. Take all of the dairy you can get. Yeah. Uh, i also just absolutely refuse to be. Domesticated in any way.
0: Remain feral. Remain feral
1: and in <laughs> goblin mode. I think that's what we're saying. That's the takeaway. And also that maybe we should all go and read more about where on earth brownies come from and what they mean. Because I think we've just created so many more questions than yeah. answers. <laughs> which we sometimes do, but I think rarely to this extent.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty... I, I was having this feeling because, you know, my, the idea about it being connected to these human sacrifices, it popped into my head. I had enough mm-hmm. time to sort of do the research to mm-hmm. formulate um, the theory and the thought process. <laughs> and uh-huh. not not really enough to to just delve even deeper <laughs> like there is so much more you can tell there's so much more
1: yeah oh yeah no there's lots going on but the uh, personally i'm a big fan i think it's a great theory and uh i'm gonna think of brownies like we said in a much more romanticized fashion now than i would have done before
0: yeah I didn't know I could feel so emotional about uh, like a a tiny hairy creature that has <laughs> frog feet, but <laughs> uh, you know
1: the wonders of folklore. Yeah. Oh. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Folklore Scotland podcast. We'll be back every week with more folklore content, from stories to analysis. The podcast is brought to you by Folklore Scotland charity that tells the tales of the past and the technology of today our aim is to make the compiling and sharing of folktales accessible through digital streams if you'd like to become a voluntary contributor or would like to get in touch, send us an email at info at you can also check out all of our social media links in the show notes if you would like to support the work we do we have now launched a coffee page where you can make a small contribution that will go a long way in helping us carry out the work we do